kind of reflecting on the things that hold us back and keep us either in prison or captive. And one of the things that can keep us captive and imprisoned in our emotions is shame. You know, if guilt is I've done something wrong, shame is the feeling I am wrong. It's an identity statement. And the gospel answers that through giving us a new identity and giving us a new relationship. Another thing that can hold us back and keep us captive is fear. Um, um, And again, the gospel answers that through bringing us into a relationship with a really good father who promises to provide and protect us. Um, Another thing that can hold us captive is, is feeling unforgiven or not being able to forgive. And possibly uh, the inability to, to uh, know you're forgiven or the inability to forgive someone else is probably one of the key things, maybe even the greatest thing that holds us back um, in our lives. So I feel like this morning I want to be like a, a careful surgeon doing a major piece of surgery for some of it may be a major piece of surgery that we're just going to delicately prize and remove that thing that's holding you back which which in that sense could be I'm just not able to forgive somebody and I guess for all of us it can be a greater revelation of what it means to be forgiven by God and a greater understanding of what it means to ongoingly forgive people so we're going to look at these verses in, in chapter 6 and verse 12 it says in, the, in this prayer that Jesus taught the disciples to pray, he said, and, um, and forgive us our debts as we, uh, as we also have been forgiven, uh, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then he says in verse 14, he says, for if, we, for if you forgive others their trespasses, their sins, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And he's trying to understand what that scripture means when you look at Romans 8 that says nothing can separate you from the love of God. So what does that mean? And we're going to unpack that as we go along. The believer is, is the most forgiven person in the world. We are the most forgiven people in the whole world. And this verse is saying because we're the most forgiven people in the world, we should be the most forgiving people in the world, that what should characterise the believer's life is we're radical in our capacity to forgive others when they hurt us, when they let us down, when they don't do the things they said they would do, or they do the things they said they wouldn't do, or or they hurt us with words, or hurt us physically, or they hurt our reputations. So we're not called to forgive in order to earn God's love. This verse is not saying that in order to come into the kingdom, first you need to forgive, because we know that it's by grace alone, a free gift that we're saved. It it was for a revelation of what Jesus did on our behalf. It wasn't that we suddenly understood forgiveness and then we forgave and then he said, come into my kingdom. That's not what he's saying. He's saying in these verses, when you're in the kingdom, one of the things, the the flavour and the characteristic of the kingdom is a radical place of knowing forgiveness and being radical in your capacity to forgive. So we don't forgive to earn love or merit love or deserve love. We forgive because we've been radically and completely and absolutely um, um, loved and forgiven. His love and forgiveness motivates us. So... Often we, we, 
we struggle, if we're honest, many of us, with being able to genuinely and completely forgive because we sometimes find ourselves practicing a form of forgiveness that's neither biblical nor healing. So when we practice a, um, a, 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 an attitude of forgiveness that is in line with the scriptures, it is actually something that can completely heal our, our souls. So this morning, I want us to first realise that God has an incredibly high standard when it comes to the subject of forgiveness. And he has incredible empowering grace as well to enable us to be able to do the things that he asks us to do. That's the wonderful thing about grace. It empowers what it commands. It enables what it asks. Mm. When God says, be holy as I am holy, he's saying it because grace is the capacity to, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind and actually become more and more like God and think more and more like God in, in the way we relate to people. So grace sets this wonderful high standard. And so this morning I want to look at, okay, so grace empowers, but also grace guides and tells us what forgiveness is and what forgiveness isn't. So to understand how we're to go on forgiving people and releasing people of their debts, we need to understand first what forgiveness is not. So I want to look at three things that forgiveness is not or forgiving other people is not. And those are, it's not a feeling, it's not forgetting and it's not excusing. So the first thing about forgiveness is that it's not a feeling. It's not a feeling. And sometimes I think that's where we get stuck and find it very difficult to forgive is because we're looking for God to create a supernatural feeling in us so that we will be able to forgive. Whereas forgiveness biblically is actually a decision to submit to the rule and reign of a really good king. It's to say, because you've forgiven me, I will forgive others, and is actually an act of the will. Mm. It's actually a decision, it's actually a decision we make, not an emotion that comes over us. I will forgive. I choose to forgive. This is a decision I'm going to make. And forgiveness is a decision to say, I will not think about this ever again. I will not talk about it ever again. Um, that God calls us to make that decision regardless of feelings. And um, yet in the moment of decision, in the moment of it being an act of the will, we find that our feelings get transformed through the decision that I will not think of this, I will not talk about this again, and remarkable things happen in our feelings. And I think this is why sometimes the decision to forgive can be not just a one-moment decision, particularly on really tough stuff, it is a decision that we make maybe over and over again, particularly in the middle of the night when the, uh, the tapes start playing in our heads and the film starts to go and we start to remember and we start to think about how much it hurts and we start to plan our revenge and what we'll say when we get the opportunity and what we'll do. And it's a decision to say, do you know what, I've made a decision that God says um, my debt has been forgiven, now I'm choosing not to hold that thing against that person. Amen. Forgiveness is, is not forgetting. Because to forget something is a passive process that over time the memory fades 
And, but forgiveness is an active process. It's an active process. Again, it comes back to, it's a decision. It's something I've chosen to do. It's a conscious effort, a deliberate action. So God says, I, I remember your sins no more. Amen. He's not saying it's because it was so long ago I can't Amen. remember. He's not saying I've been so busy with so many other distractions and things going on, I just can't recall them. There's a billion people on the planet, how can I remember yours? Actually, he's omniscient, he knows all things completely. What he is actually saying is, is I've promised not to remember them. Um, Isaiah 43, 25 says, I've chosen to blot them out. He's chosen to cover them over. He's chosen to um, remember them no more. It's a conscious decision that he has made. He has said, I've chosen to forgive you. In other words, I, I, I choose not to mention it ever again. I choose not to recount it. I choose never to think about your failures ever, ever again. I promise never to hold them against you ever again. I've blotted them out. I've chosen not to remember them. Mm. And he does it in the most costly way. It's not that God just kind of gets a big cup and sweeps them under and says, you know, I'm just going to whistle and pretend I never saw it. He, he actually deals with it head on at Calvary. And so he blots them out. He covers them over. He chooses not to remember them anymore because somebody else paid the debt for us. Someone else stood in our place for us, as us. Christ did it on our behalf and paid our debt. So he can say now it's paid in full completely that the court of heaven now says not guilty. And so if you go to the court of heaven, the high court of heaven, and start to talk about your past, he will say, I've chosen not to remember that. I don't really, I I don't want to talk about it because I've chosen to blot that out. I've chosen not to talk about that, remember that, consider that. It's not something I'm ever going to ever hold against you. And that's why, like the Apostle Paul could say, I'm the least of the apostles because I persecuted the church, because I, I, murdered, I murdered believers, actually. I threw people into prison. And then he's able to say right after that, but I am what I am by the grace of God. He says, I've got a brand new identity. Yeah. And my past does not define yeah, my future. Come on. So, and so... Similarly, to forgive like God, we are saying, I consciously decide not to think or talk about what others have done to hurt me. And this may require a lot of effort at first, especially when the offence is fresh. And it's that decision to say, I'm not going to dwell on it. I'm not going to dwell on this painful memory. And as we decide not to dwell on it, the, 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 the pain of it usually begins to fade. So it's not a feeling, and it's not a passive thing, it's a deliberate decision. And the final one on this section is forgiveness is not excusing. It's not excusing. Because sometimes I think when we, particularly when our identity (coughs) issue is not sorted and someone hurts us, sometimes we can find ourselves saying, well, don't worry, there's nothing as if we've not got any value, as if what was done to us has no consequence, because who am I? I'm just a worm who deserved that. Um, Forgiveness is not excusing. 
Excusing says, that's okay, um, implying what you did really wasn't wrong and you couldn't help it. That's what forgiveness isn't. Forgiveness is, is, is the opposite. Forgiveness is, is actually saying it recognises that what someone did was wrong and it recognises that what someone did was actually inexcusable. Um, we both know that what you did was wrong and without excuse. It then says, but since God has forgiven me, I forgive you. Because forgiveness deals honestly with sin, it brings freedom that no amount of excusing could ever bring. It's, mm. it's that face-to-face, this hurt, yeah. this cost me, this wounded me, and I'm choosing to forgive you. So forgiveness then is those three things. It's not a feeling, it's not forgetting, and it's not excusing. That forgiveness is a decision, and it's a decision to keep no record of wrongs. It's what we find in 1 Corinthians 13, 5. And there's a funny joke that says, um, a a wife talking to a counsellor says, every time we get into an argument, he gets all historical with me. And the counsellor says, don't you mean he gets hysterical? No, he gets historical with me. He brings up everything I've ever done wrong and uses it against me. And so uh, forgiveness then is a decision. Um, I'm never going to get historical. I'm never going to get historical with you every time we disagree. And if you've got an almost photographic memory for history, that can be more challenging than than if you've got a memory that doesn't actually fade. But it's that decision to say, no, I've let that go. I'm releasing you of liability. And that's what that means. I forgive your debt. I'm releasing you from your debt, your punishment, your penalty. And so forgiveness is actually a really costly thing. Mm. It's an incredibly costly thing. So we read in Matthew 18, and one of the disciples said, how many times should we forgive somebody? Is it, is it like seven times a day? And then Jesus says, no, it's 70 times seven. In other words, it's kind of infinite, and it's got no measurement. It just, you just keep going on and forgiving. And then Jesus in Matthew 18 tells a story, and he says there was a king who wanted to settle up affairs, and there was one of his men who worked for him who owed the king um, an infinite amount of money. It was, it, was, it was like you could say a billion pounds. It was the amount of money he owed was something you couldn't pay back in a lifetime. And the king says, because you owe me so much money, I'm throwing you in prison until you can pay me back. In other words, you're never coming out. You, you're, you're stuck. You owe me a debt. And the guy, the, the guy who owes the money kind of pleads and says, have, have mercy on me, have compassion on me, please release me from my debt. And the king says, you know what, I'm going to be compassionate, I'm going to be merciful, your debt is wiped, you owe me nothing. That lifetime debt that you could never pay back is now completely dealt with. And that man who was then forgiven then bumps into someone who owes him. And it says pretty much the money he owed was not anything compared to what he owed the king. And he, and he says, no, I'm not forgiving you. You, you pay me what you owe me. You pay me what you owe me, and I'm going to throw you in jail until you, until you pay the debt back. And then the king hears about it and says, I can't believe it. I released you from more than a lifetime's worth of debt, and you couldn't forgive someone else of a few months' worth of debt. Take him away, chuck him in prison. And so 
there's a real cost in that. There's something that was owed. We're releasing them of the debt because we're being released of the debt. So it could be we we had a debt that 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 of our reputation. Amen. Our reputation got hurt by what someone said and how they spoke about us. And, and there's a real cost. Something was lost and Amen. you can't get it back. And yes. you think, I'm, I'm choosing to release you of that debt of a costly reputation. Sometimes it can be money. Sometimes it can be the debt of memories. What you <coughs> did and what you said and what you didn't do and what you did has spoiled and, 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 and spoiled my memories. I'm releasing you of that debt. Sometimes it's the emotional pain. What you withheld from me and the words you spoke to me and the things that you did to me has crushed me. Now I'm having to go to the king to get repaired, but I'm releasing you from the debt. I'm releasing you from the loss. Mm. And there's genuine grief here because sometimes the reason we struggle to forgive is because of the reality of the grief that's attached to the thing that was done. That's why the first things of it's not a feeling, it's not forgetting, it's not excusing can be really hard because there's a genuine sense of loss and grief. Amen. Something was taken from me, whether it was time, money, reputation or emotional health. Amen. And I've got grief. Now, the penalty that we release people from when we forgive them is the same penalty that God releases us from when he forgives us. So, all the things that we had done towards God, our rebellion, our, our being an enemy in our minds, our mm. not wanting him, wanting to be God, turning our back on him, um, through forgiveness, he, he tears all those walls down. So, Amen. like at the cross, when Amen. Jesus is paying our debt. So, Amen. we're like the, the debtor in Matthew 18. We've got a debt that we can't pay back. Yeah, we're the, we're the debtor in Matthew 18. I owe what I can't pay back. Because if I, even if I, in the moment, I wake up and think I've got a debt, and now I go to work to pay it back, yeah. I, can't, I can't pay back all my past. Because no, no, matter, no matter how hard I try, you, you can't clear the debt up for the Amen. things... I didn't honour God with this and I didn't honour God with that and I didn't trust him here and I was an enemy here and I hated him there and I lived my own way there. No amount of keeping the rules can pay the debt back. You've still got it? And that's why Paul says in Galatians, really, if you want to keep the law, you've got to keep it absolutely perfect. You've got to do it absolutely every I and every T crossed. You, you can't make one mistake. If you want to go legalistic to pay your debt back, you better get it absolutely right all the time. And, 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 and you, what do you do with all the other stuff, the junk? It's still there. So it's an impossible debt to pay back. But at the cross, something remarkable happens. He... He, he steps in. He steps in and he says, I'll pay your debt for you. I'll, I'll pay your debt for you. Your debt, ultimately, is <coughs> you can't get right with God mm, right. and you can't have relationship. Amen. You can't be face to face with God. Mm. You can't hear him. You can't hear his voice. You can't see his face. That's your, that's your consequence. That's the penalty. But I'm going to step into that and I'm going to face the full weight of 
what it feels like to be in a posture of, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's, he's come becoming what he was not at the cross. So Christ, the eternal one, spotless, blameless, Lamb of God, holy one, no sinful nature, becomes in that moment what he was not to pay my debt so that the, the, the veil of the temple can be torn, it says, Amen. from top to bottom, Amen. so that I can go into a place I could never have gone into, which is the Holy of Holies, and become a very temple of God. Amen. So the reason we can hear his voice and prophesy is because the Holy Spirit's in us, and it's because the debt has been paid. Amen. He paid it. Amen. And he rose from the dead because the wages of sin is death and because he wasn't paying his wages because he's sinless, spotless and pure he rises up as the firstborn among the dead because he never, it wasn't his debt <laughs> death couldn't hold him because death had no claim to him Amen. and so that's why in Christ we rise up to newness of life that the old is gone and the new Amen. has come that our old nature is gone we've got a brand new nature from God one in which we can hear his voice. So when he says, I forgive you, I blot it out, I cover it up, I won't think about it, I won't hold it against you, it's because it's all being paid. So he tears the walls down and he makes a way for a renewed relationship. Amen. So the Father never says to us, I forgive you, I just don't want anything to do with you ever again. <laughs> You're forgiven, but just don't ever, I don't want to talk to you or be near you or have anything to do with you. <laughs> so, really, whenever you hear his voice, remember how much it costs to get rid of every dividing wall between us and God. Because we had sinned and fallen short of the glory and now Jesus says in Matthew, or in John 17, I yeah. share my glory. Because <laughs> we'd fallen short of it. Now we wow. get restored back. So when we um, release people, and when we forgive people, we're, we're actually saying, and I will clarify this, and this next point, we're actually saying, I'm releasing you from the penalty of being separated from me. Mm. I'm deciding not to hold this against you, not to yes. punish you, or to hold you at a distance. I'm promising not to dwell on it and brood over it, and I'll never, ever, ever use this against you. I promise not to talk to anybody else about it. My love is now on. And we'll underpack that, what that means, because that can be a two-step process that we're going to come to in a moment. Now, this is the hard bit in these verses. For if you forgive others their trespass, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. And that links to the whole story of Matthew 18, mm. where it says, yeah. "You should not have, uh, should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him into the jailer's to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And then it says, and so may, so also my heavenly father will do to any one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. Mm -hmm. Wow. This, this, so nothing can separate us from his love. 
And yet the stubborn refusal to lead to a, to forgive from the heart leads to emotional imprisonment. So we we are we are people who get to make lots of choices all the time, aren't we? And yeah. we've got free will and we're not controlled. So God is always loving towards us, kind, merciful, and compassionate. But our stubborn refusal to release people of their debts brings us to a place of torment and captivity that binds us and consumes us and eats us and seeks to enslave us and birth bitterness in us and bitterness Hebrews 12 says is like a, a contagious thing that goes and defiles many people so our refusal to forgive is like living with our hands around someone's throat wanting to kill them all the time so so unforgiveness can be about a minor thing but when it and, but that can fester and grow and grow and grow until actually we can't, we've got unforgiveness around everything. It's like we've got our hands around everybody's throat. I think Joyce Meyer says it, that it's like drinking poison and expecting it to hurt somebody else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That to enter into the liberty and the freedom and the experiential reality of, of our debts being forgiven and yet holding other people in debt is what takes us to the tormenting jail yes. and is what consumes us. Yeah. Is what cuts us off in yes. that place yes. from experiencing empowering grace. Mm. So like a great example is Luke Luke 15 the prodigal son. So he asks for his father's inheritance and then it says he goes off and squanders it and he wastes it. And he, he finds himself in utter poverty and hunger and starvation. The story does not say that he he left and went to a faraway land and then the father went out looking for him. It doesn't say he left the farm and went looking for his son and put posters up and have you seen my boy? The father waits for the son to come to his senses. So it says that the son suddenly realises, wow, I'm eating food that's fed to pigs. Even, even the servants get a better deal than this. I'm going to go back home I'm going to go back home. I'm turning and going back. And the father sees him and runs out to him. Mm. Can you see the son, through his own free will and choices, positioned himself in a place Amen. of being cut mm. off Amen. from his identity as a son, from his access to the, the, the status and the wealth and the resources of the household. And he's eating with pigs. 
And how active has the father really been in making any of those consequences a reality? Really, he's, he's, he's actually done nothing apart from giving what he asked for, Amen. which was his inheritance. Amen. What the son did with that was squander it and waste it. So, when we find ourselves a prisoner and a captive because of our unwillingness to forgive, I don't think we can turn around and say to God, you have been cruel to me, and you have crushed me, and you have consumed me with torment, where are you? Because he will just say to you, well, be like the prodigal, come on home, and choose to forgive, and let that other person have their debt. You, you have, you have reaped what you've sown. Amen. It says in Galatians, you, God can't be mocked. Mm-hmm. If, that, if, the, if the tree that's growing in your heart is, is consumed by torment, anger, irritation, rage, you have to say, have I been sowing, have I refused to forgive? Mm. Because the seed always lets, the fruit always tells you about the seed. Amen. Always, that is a spiritual law Amen. that, that is, is, is just the way the universe is. Cursing didn't get through the cross. Mm-hmm. Reaping sowing got through the cross. God says, I, I won't be mocked. You'll reap what you sow. So I think in these verses that talk about torment and captivity and consequence and punishment are linked to the seeds of will I forgive or won't I forgive. So equally in the story of Luke 15, the son comes back, he's restored, identity, status, wealth, and the elder brother hears about it. And the elder brother is really angry. And I get the elder brother. I get him because I would have a tendency to be an elder brother. Because I am an elder brother in real life. Because <laughs> he, he's doing the maths. Yeah. You, you, you took half the inheritance. Okay, so now I've got 50%. And now you've come back. You spent your 50% on what I'm imagining you've spent it on. Because he doesn't really know yet. He just thinks of the worst this guy could have done. And he says, now I'm going to have less. Because father's so good, I'm now going to be left with 25%. Because you're going to be, I'm really angry. And he, the father says, this, no, he was dead, now he's alive. He's home. And the father goes out to him and says, come in. There's a party. And really, if you, if you want a party later on, you can have a party too. Okay? But just rejoice now, because this is his time. Your time's going to come. And the elder son refuses to come into the party. And, and the story stops with him outside. And the, and the, and the party goes on. That's what it looks like to not forgive another person their debt. Yes. The party's going on, there's restoration, and you stand saying, this is not fair. (laughs) And I'm not going in. I'm going to 
my hands around their throat and I'm going to drink poison to make them sick. And I'm going to wake up in the night and I'm going to plan how I'm going to get back at them. That's what it looks like. If you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Mm. You won't let him off the debt. Don't, you won't come into the joy of this particular ex- expression that I'm giving. So, when should we forgive? When should we forgive? Ideally, and I think it's John Piper who says that, re- that forgiveness in the Bible is always accompanied by repentance. That ideally, repentance, them changing their mind, should precede forgiveness. In Luke 15, the son comes back. He tries to get out his prepared speech. The father interrupts him, says, get the ring, get the cloak, get the sandals. You're restored. Having a party, you're alive. Hmm. He just sees the posture of the heart. Sometimes we think... Oh, if I can just tell you how bad I am for long enough, Father, then you forgive me. No, it was, the, it, was the, it was the return of the heart. He sees the tiniest return of the heart, even before you can wrap language around it. And so yes. there's, there is this repentance, this changing of his mind that he comes back. But Proverbs 19.11 says, it's to a man's glory to overlook an offence. Yeah. So there are things that need repentance. We need the person to change their mind. And there are some things that are just so serious that, that we, we, we can't overlook it. And so in that, when it's that, and it, you know it's an offence that you, you can't just overlook, but something has, been, that something has been done that you need their repentance for forgiveness to be complete. So, if forgiveness is, I'm, I'm not, I'm doing what God does, and my ultimate goal is, we're going to be face to face, and the walls are coming down, and the boundaries are changing, repentance on the other person's part is absolutely crucial. And this is where I think we have to see forgiveness as a two-step process, okay? The first step is you can do this step whether the person repents, changes their mind, or whatever. This is a step that's just between you and God. It's between you and God where you say, God, I won't dwell on it. I won't seek revenge. My love is on. I am ready to pursue complete reconciliation as soon as he or she repents. This attitude protects you from bitterness and resentment. This is where you take your hands from their throat, you lay down the poison, you're not drinking it, you're not planning the tapes in your head of how you're going to get back, you're laying it down. Stage two, this is forgiveness that leads to reconciliation and the replacement of separation with peace. And this, this needs, in, in, in certain things, and big things, it needs their confession. It needs their repentance. And boundaries change and relationships change in the context of genuine repentance and genuine ownership and genuine confession. Amen. It's the moment where you know that the other person fully is understanding the pain that they've 
caused. To use some of the stuff that Danny Silk uses, he he says it's the moment when the person knows what the real problem is. They're they're, they're getting a glimpse of it at least, or they're heading towards it. I know what the real problem is. I know what the underlying reason is for why I did what I did, or why I didn't do what I should have done, or why I said what I said, or why I acted in the way that I acted. I I know what the real problem is. I'm, I'm doing the work, and sometimes it can be that the person is saying, you know what, I'm going to counselling, I'm going to nail this, I'm going to work it through, I'm going to talk to someone until I understand. I'm going to have a sozo, I'm going to talk to God about it, I'm going to unravel this thing with the help of friends, I'm getting to the root of it, I'm going to understand, so I understand why I'm behaving as I have behaved. It's that knowing, I know who's been affected by it. And it's, I'm going to clean up the mess that I've caused. We might say, what about consequences? Forgiveness does not automatically release people from the consequences of sin. Yeah? Mm. If people's sin has contravened the rules of a nation, God has instituted the police and the judicial system to protect the law. It's part of common grace. And forgiveness does not say, well, we'll cover that. No, forgiveness can mean that a person still has a prison sentence, still has consequences, may still be bankrupt, may still have to pay that financial debt back. Mm. It's not the release of saying, oh, well, I forgive you. Now you don't owe me that finances anymore. Actually, their repentance may still involve them saying, you know what, I owe you that. And that's part of understanding the genuineness of it. Mm. But without repentance, we can still lay down our ill will and we can still hand over our anger to God and we can still seek to do people good. um, but But we may not be able to carry through to reconciliation and intimacy and changing the boundaries without their the clarity that they get it and they're seeing it. And that it might be that for some of you, it might be, I'm going to go on a journey with you, but I, I'm not changing the boundaries right now until I see that there's, you're on a journey of connecting to understanding what the real yeah. problem is. Because yeah, forgiveness yeah. doesn't necessarily mean I fully trust you. Yeah. It just means I'm releasing the consequences and I'm, 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 my heart is soft towards you and my heart's intention is the walls are going to come down, the boundaries are going to shift, but I just need to see. Now, to finish, we can see the two-step process in the cross, and we can see it at Pentecost. So on the cross, Jesus took the position of forgiveness. This is a posture between him and God, him and his Father. He says, I'm maintaining an attitude of love and mercy towards those who are putting me to death. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And they didn't. They, they were crucifying the Lord of glory and they didn't know it. They thought, they thought they were doing something right. But then we see at Pentecost, the Father's answer to Jesus' prayer on the cross. He, he lets them see what they couldn't see before. So that's in Acts 2 when Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, preaches to the people. They get cut to the heart... Mm. And they realise, yes. I don't believe it. We crucified the Son of God. 
We crucified the Messiah, the promised one, and we didn't even see it. They get cut to the heart and they see what they didn't see before. The Father opens their eyes and they can see what they've done. And what do we need to do? Well, you need to repent. And they repented of their sin. And in the moment of repentance of their sin, all the walls get pulled down. They get to hear and see and they get filled with the Holy Spirit. And they get added to the church, the people of God, and become part of the family. You see that it happened that Jesus is saying, I'm doing the first step. I'm not going to have anger or bitterness or resentment in my heart. Wow, Jesus. Right up to the end, (laughs) you're resisting temptation. Right up to the end, you're drawing on grace. And Father hears it and lets the people see. I want to finish with this illustration. I read it in a book by John Piper. And he said that there's a trap that people sometimes do to catch, catch a monkey. And you put a, a nut in a jar and you tie the jar up with a chain. And the monkey comes along and puts his hand in the jar and grabs hold of the nut. And then it's, they're trapped on the chain because they don't want to let go of the nut. They're actually, they actually are free, but they've got to let go of this nut to get free. If they let go of it, they can get their hand out. But if they refuse to let go of it, they're trapped, they're going to be caught and, and kept captive. And that is really that moment of, I, I'm doing it for my own good. This, I've got my hand around something mm. and I've got grief that this thing, this person, this situation, it stole my reputation. It, 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 it did something to my memories. It, it, I was emotionally wounded and I'm, I'm captive and I, I want to be free and I want to walk in freedom and I want to I wanna walk into all the benefits of freedom. But I, I'm going to have to let go of something. I'm going to have to let go of my right to get even. I'm going to have to let go of my right to get revenge. I'm going to have to lay down the plans that I've made. I'll give them a piece of my mind when I see them. I'll tell them what they did. I'll lay it all out, how they hurt me and wounded me and destroyed me. I'll get back at them. I'll speak to someone about them. They sport my reputation. Well, they haven't seen what I can do on a bad day. It's letting go of all of that that's the only way to freedom. It's the only way to freedom. And the Father won't force us. He, he invites us. He says, will you let go? Will you let go? Will you take your hand off? Will you trust me? Will you trust me that that there are two places I deal with things? There There are two places I deal with things. I deal with things at the cross. And I deal with things through the reality of eternity. And the reality of eternal separation. That, that people can deal, their, their stuff is going to be paid for for either my son's finished work or it's going to be paid for in the reality that what they've decided now never to come home to me will carry on forever. Mm. It yeah. gets dealt with at the cross. It gets yeah. dealt with in hell. Yeah. And it's that trusting of God in practical reality. I entrust you, Father, 
with working this through. I entrust you, Father, that you, even when I don't understand, you can work this together for my good because you promised to work all things together for good for those who love you. And I don't understand it, but I, I refuse any longer to hold on and be a slave and be in captivity and be tormented. I refuse that. And, and, and I make a decision to say, in my heart, that's over. Yes. And I take the posture of, God, I'm open to the possibility that this person might see the real problem, understand about what's been affected. But it starts in the heart. Amen.